Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week we bend our own rules a little and ask the question, what's the deal with Jerry Seinfeld? Is he the king of comedy? Was his Netflix specials worth the amount that he was paid for? Why did he date that girl that was 17 when he wasn't? All that and more, this week on Grubstakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens that they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Um, All right. In five. Hello, and welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about nothing but billionaires. Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by... Andy Palmer. Yogi Polywall. Steve Jeffries. And uh, so this week, we're breaking our rules a little bit, because we're doing an episode about Jerry Seinfeld. And as of 2018, Jerry Seinfeld's net worth, he's not quite a billionaire. Mm-mm-mm. It's been estimated he's worth between 860 and $920 million. Uh, he has a fleet of Porsches, at least like 20. He's got like a garage in Santa Monica and a garage in New York where he keeps his Porsches. The everyman observational comedian. <laughs> um, but but the thing is, the reason we are doing an episode about Jerry Seinfeld is we are just tired of eating our vegetables on this podcast. <laughs> we have done so many episodes about hedge fund and private equity guys where you have to spend six hours figuring out what they do, another six hours why it's evil, another six hours trying to explain it to people why it's evil. All and, for free, by the way. Yes. We're not charging you to, for this research, so <laughs> it'd be nice if you gave us some money from time to time. I mean, what's the deal with free podcasts? But Jerry Seinfeld, when explaining it's evil, why he's evil, all you have to do is say comedians in cars getting coffee. (laughs) And it's much easier for us, and we just needed a break, so we're doing Jerry Seinfeld. And it should be noted, you know, his net worth between 860 and 920 uh, million. Given this typical 7% return on capital, he's going to be a billionaire within two or three years, even if he doesn't do anything. This is our first asterisk. Right. So we will re-release this episode in two or three years <laughs> as soon as Jerry Seinfeld is a confirmed billionaire. Is this what's happening? <laughs> uh, but, but so basically, uh, there, there's uh, so much to say about Jerry Seinfeld. And, you know, uh, Andy, Yogi, and myself are, are stand-up comedians. So obviously Seinfeld has been in one way or another influential or at least... Um, <clears throat> relevant in our lives let's say and, and so this who this, can forget this classic who is shaving on the plane <laughs> and shaving so much they're using up razor blades <laughs> that, that was a edgy pre-9-11 airplane humor yeah <laughs> it was like a month before 9-11 airplane humor Airplane humor died after 9-11, guys. It's really sad. I, know. <laughs> I can never forget those bits. Jerry Seinfeld gave Muhammad Atta the idea to, <laughs> to use airplane razor blades. <laughs> they have the weapons on the plane. Comedy's dangerous, people. You never know who's... But anyway, look, the point is, this episode is about three unsuccessful comedians trying to find any excuse to present their uh, animosity towards Jerry Seinfeld as based on anything other than professional jealousy. 
And I think we can all agree on that. But also, we're not just doing a fun one because we're burnt out of the world of sadness. And Though that is also true. That's <laughs> but also, Andy, I think you'd like to share some thoughts on the world today. Oh, yes. Um, with the death of war hero, Senator Maverick, uh, John McCain, who always put country above party. Right, right, right. Uh, we were just absolutely depressed and we just needed someone to uh, lighten things up. Uh, so we could have a nice giggle about how he... Uh, but I don't want to be a pirate! <laughs> doesn't want to be a pirate. I was watching the Mariners play the Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday, and they announced during the baseball game that John McCain had passed, and they're like, oh, he's he's watching the team from heaven now. <laughs> <laughs> and they were also telling this anecdote, I guess, because I was watching the Arizona broadcast about how McCain had, like, come uh, and like sat in with them on the booth uh-huh. during uh, some uh, thing and he like knew all the prospects better than they did i'm like oh that's that's what he was doing instead right, of his right. job yeah <laughs> um, so but, glad to know mccain's better at judging baseball than he is wars i, I do like that uh, the mariners honored john mccain by uh, defeating his team four to three in solidarity with every election and war that he's been involved in if john mccain's in heaven that's the longest he's managed to remain airborne <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck uh, you arizona yeah <laughs> All right. Well, uh, but uh, setting aside our edgy John McCain humor, let's let's focus on another friend of Israel, Mr. Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Now, now that all <laughs> the moderates have been uh, alienated, here's a uh, uh, Wii Music version of the Seinfeld theme. <laughs> All right, so Jerry Seinfeld, and, and we'll, we'll kind of go, as usual, loosely chronological. Jerry Seinfeld was born in 1954 in Brooklyn, New York, um, and he. Uh, I, I, most of my research for this episode is based on a biography. It's called Seinfeld, The Making of an American Icon by Jerry Oppenheimer. Um, it's a pretty good book. Uh, if you're interested in Jerry Seinfeld, it's got a lot of dirt. The prose is, you know, three out of five. But... And it's Jerry on Jerry. <laughs> But um, I like the name Oppenheimer because it's like we knew an Oppenheimer who studied giant bombs. <laughs> <laughs> and now this one's studying the post-Seinfeld, the TV show career right, of Jerry right. Seinfeld. His bomb. Yeah. It is funny that like... Tw- a bomb almost <laughs> on the scale of Trinity. <laughs> At least 10 to 15% of that book is just like, TV critics and uh, newspaper writers being like, you know, I just don't find Jerry Seinfeld that funny. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's kind of like I if you look at critiques at like Dilbert right now, it's like, you know, now that guy's outright completely, that comic wasn't ever that good. <laughs> But uh, so Jerry Seinfeld was born Brooklyn, New York, 1954. Um, the story of his father is actually pretty fascinating. I'll just cover it briefly. His father was named Cal Seinfeld, Calman Seinfeld, um, and so uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's grandfather, uh, paternal grandfather, was a fishmonger who basically abandoned the family during the Great Depression. Hmm. So mm-hmm. uh, Calman Seinfeld was like a hustler and a salesperson, and he had to like figure out how to survive during the Great Depression. Apparently, he like learned how to fix car engines by the age of thirteen. So he like you know hustled as a mechanic, and then he was you know selling towels uh, in the early forties to you know hotels and businesses. Right, right. He gets drafted. Calman Seinfeld goes to um, the Pacific. He's like a, a mail orderly in the. Pacific. Pacific. And then he comes back in 1945. 
uh, from the war. He's doing door-to-door sales in the 1950s, like shingles and encyclopedias. Apparently, he was also selling fake holy water oh, from really? like lords, <laughs> like because I guess Calvin Seinfeld, like he he looked like he was you know Irish or Italian or something. Sure, so sure. he would go out to Long Island and sell to these you know uh, Christians. Uh, this fake holy water. Wow. <laughs> you know, like these little um, mini grottos with like the Virgin Mary and he would say it's like real holy water. Sure, so sure. He, can... <laughs> yeah. he was basically uh, the inspiration for a Mr. George Lincoln Rockwell. <laughs> yeah. he, he used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, <laughs> very, very common New York Jewish upbringing. Uh, but Calvin Seinfeld, he's doing door-to-door sales in the 50s. He meets Jerry Seinfeld's mother, uh, Betty, in 1950. Uh, she was a, a bookkeeper and a seamstress, um, and then they are able, because of a VA loan, they buy their first house uh, in Massapequa, Long Island, and they moved there when Jerry was 14 uh, months old. They were like living in an apartment in Borough Park, Brooklyn. That's where Jerry was born, and then when Jerry's like 14 months, they move out to uh, Massapequa, Long Island. So Jerry had kind of a typical suburbia, 1950s, 1960s Americana existence. Right. Aren't his parents both orphans as well? Yeah, because like um, his mom is like the child of a uh, Syrian Jews, right, and right. Um, uh, her mother died, and then her dad had a breakdown, so he she got sent off to an orphanage, and then uh, as we mentioned, you know, Cal Seinfeld, his dad abandoned the family, and so he was kind of raised by his sisters partly. So yeah, they're both orphans basically. Um, but yeah, so they grow up in suburbia, uh, typical stuff. Uh, Jerry has joked that Massapequa, Long Island, is the Indian word for near the mall. So, uh, Chief, the spirits. Uh, uh, I want the audience to know that's not Hindi at all. So, <laughs> Seinfeld don't know dick. I think he means uh, American Indian. Whatever case. Wait, Andy, could you play? Uh, wait, wait. Could you play Jerry Seinfeld on David Letterman reacting to his <laughs> Massapequa near the mall joke? Stop laughing. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so uh, Jerry, like an interesting thing from this book is Jerry was like into sneakers at like six years old. He would like demand his like mom buy him sneakers. And if you're familiar with Jerry Seinfeld, it's like, that's like, besides Porsches, that's kind of the big purchase he makes right. is just closets full of sneakers. He's uh, a child. He's a, yeah. he's a grown man child. Exactly. Um, but so he grows up. His parents are kind of lower middle class initially, but his dad, Kalman Seinfeld, he eventually settles on the hustle of uh, selling signs to businesses. You know, Seinfeld signs is what sure, it's called. Sure. So Kalman Seinfeld is making, you know, a, a, a middle class living by the 60s, just selling signs to businesses. They move to Harbor Green in Long Island in 1962. And just interesting story is that uh, the mob boss, Carlo Gambino, was their neighbor. What? Yeah. Um, it was just like a couple things from the book uh, that caught my eye. It was just like uh, Carlo, Kalman uh, Seinfeld used to like go over to Carlo Gambino's place and like play cards and poker with the mobsters. Really? That's and, nuts. Yeah. I like, mean, I guess then, then again, <laughs> at that time, being like near the mob, whether it's your the restaurant or business or your neighbor wouldn't wasn't that big of a deal, huh? Yeah, and like from the Jerry Oppenheimer book, uh, Cal boasted to friends that every time Carlo Gambino saw Jerry Seinfeld, he'd pinch his cheek and say, you're being a good boy now, Jerry, aren't you? And give him a new silver dollar. <laughs> 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 and uh, and also it's, it's alleged that uh, Carlo Gambino wrote a fat check to uh, Jerry Seinfeld for his bar mitzvah. Oh, really? Yeah. So just like, you know, 
Uh, Blood money going into the Seinfeld name. Yeah, I, I see what's going on here. <laughs> a common theme with the Seinfeld success story. Later on, when a thing called Netflix developed, <laughs> yeah. they remember my son and right, my nephew. Right. That's true. Carlo Gambino and Seinfeld are both stars of Netflix now. <laughs> I like the idea of Carlo Gambino on his deathbed being like, I hope I didn't create a monster. <laughs> <laughs> But so typical suburbia, Long Island existence. Um, uh, Jerry was bullied a little bit, uh, partly for being Jewish. He was at least once called a dirty Jew by the other kids. Um, Carl Icahn. <laughs> yes. uh, he was uh, uh, beat up a couple times, at least. Um, but he was like, so he was a, his first job was like a Newsweek bicycle delivery boy. Um, and, uh, He starts Massapequa High School in 1968, and the way Jerry Oppenheimer says it is, like, he was really interested in both Cars and Bill Cosby, Mm -hmm. and so as we mentioned, yeah, he, like, he listened to all the Bill Cosby records, he watched, you know, comedians like John Meter on Ed Sullivan, and this is where he kind of got the interest in it. Uh, But so uh, he has kind of an uneventful high school. He says he hated it, didn't have that many friends. But in summer of 1971, this is between his junior and senior year of high school, he does uh, does a summer trip to Israel in 71. And there have been allegations that this is where he lost his virginity and and this kind of stuff. really? Um, Yeah. But, you know. where he popped his cherry? (laughs) He went with another comedian, didn't he? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It was like, uh, that was like one of his early girlfriends. I think his second girlfriend or something was like another future comedian uh and um but so basically actually have this audio from him going on his birthright mm-hmm. crazy i can't sleep i can't leave the house i'm here climbing the walls meanwhile i'm dating a virgin i'm in this contest something's gotta give uh, and that's when he learned to hate palestinians <laughs> Uh, but so Jerry, he talked about this. So he worked on a kibbutz, you know, like the communal <laughs> farm on a uh, stolen land. <laughs> uh, he, he worked on the kibbutz and, uh, J- Jerry Seinfeld said, I didn't like the kibbutz. Uh, nice Jewish boys from Long Island don't like to get up at six in the morning to pick bananas all summer long. I was working for ways to avoid work. And, uh, this is where he meets, you know, um, you know, uh, you know what else little Jewish boys don't like? What's that? <laughs> getting beat up in the schoolyard. <laughs> uh, but so you know what else they don't like? Yeah. Hmm. But I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> Being pirates. Being pirates. Uh, but so um, uh, he Jerry Seinfeld would later tell Playboy that he lost his virginity around nineteen or twenty. But it's been alleged like his first girlfriend said that Jerry told her that he'd lost his virginity on this kibbutz, and so. Look, there's a lot of speculation about when Jerry Seinfeld finally had sex. I'm pretty sure that the latter is probably true, and the former is just him bragging to a girl. Mm. Yeah, that, that's his, uh, she goes to a different school. I lost my virginity on my kibbutz. You know, yeah, was, yeah. This was his I birthright sl- before birthright. <laughs> yeah. When did Jerry Seinfeld finally yada, yada, yada? <laughs> Um, but so, you know, uh, besides that, it's uneventful. Uh, he hates high school. He wants to get out. So he's able to, a year early, goes to a university of, the State University of New York at Oswego. Um, so he heads out there. Uh, he's remembered as a sensitive kid in college. His college girlfriend was like a heavy pot and Marlboro smoker and stuff. So Jerry did actually smoke a little bit of pot in college, but he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, heavy into it like some of them. Like and, Obama. Yes. 
So Jerry, according to the Oppenheimer book, Jerry was a control freak and a very controlled person. He wasn't quite as anxious to get high as his, as his girlfriend. What's the deal with space? He'd be fine with it, the laughing, the sex, the eating, but I just don't think he enjoyed it all the time. I don't think he really liked it, and I don't remember him having anything, any pot of his own, you know? And so that was kind of Jerry Seinfeld's experience with drugs. <laughs> he's he's been noted as a uh, minimalist throughout his life. Uh, whether it's his like first place in Manhattan, uh, people talk about like he just had like a mattress on the ground mm-hmm. and like some books. So he's been uh, outside of his massive collection of shoes and Porsches and, and Porsches. <laughs> uh, he seemed to uh, appreciate not owning many things for a man that's almost a billionaire. Strange. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's and that's the other thing. It's just like. Why do you need all this money, Jerry Seinfeld? Right, right. Like, and I'm not, I know I have a self-interest in saying this, but he could just fund the entire generation of comedians. Yeah, it's crazy (laughs) how a good chunk of the issues plaguing comedy right now could be solved with a percent of Jerry Seinfeld's (laughs) net worth. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like Seinfeld, well, we'll get back to this, but he's paid like $20 million a piece for his Netflix specials, right. which like, I would love to see the numbers on how many people watch more than five minutes of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean he's doing jokes he wrote in the 1980s? Right, right. Yeah, the entire special is just his act from then that he like rehashed for now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, it is a bit of like a, uh, not behind the scenes, but just a sort of like, hey, this is who I was, which is not terrible, but it's almost very anti-Jerry. Hmm. He's the most, you don't even know anything about my life. I'm just going to tell jokes about some random silly shit. So the fact that he's like, well, I grew up in this town and I started at this comedy club. It's like, we don't need this, Jerry. <laughs> we don't give a fuck. I like the idea of somebody like putting on that Netflix special and he's like, you know, when you're like uh, trying to meet up with a friend and you uh, uh, are late and you can't call them. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the deal with a uh, Reagan breaking this air traffic controller strike, huh? I mean, it's hard enough to fly. In, like, uh, Talking Funny, they talk about a joke he did, like, one of the early uh, late-night sets he has about um, a roller coaster uh, in, like, the ghetto, basically. Oh, is, I was is just looking for that. that, yeah. But he does that joke in the Netflix special. Wait, really? Yeah, so a bit that they're talking about, like, hey, remember that great old bit you had? Is a part of the jokes he sold for $20 million. <laughs> So, I mean, his dad sold fake holy water, and he's selling <laughs> fake jokes at this point. So, I mean, what are you going to do? But so he's, you know, he has this college. Um, he, he does a media studies degree. He eventually transfers to Queens College because he wants to be in New York City because, you know, he's always had this interest in stand-up comedy, and he wants to be in New York, understandably. Right. So he transfers to Queens College. He does uh, various media stuff. He gets this degree in media studies, and it is the day after he graduates or no, the night of his graduation, he does his first comedy set. He does the open mic at Catch a Rising Star and bombs, uh, you know, completely unlike a real good comedian yeah. like me. Who Murder. Just, just, just did it fine from the beginning. But so he, uh, uh, he bombs, and uh, then it takes him like a couple months, but then he goes back and he starts uh, doing, you know, uh, uh, regular sets at these various bars around town uh, or around New York City. And it's um it's interesting because he has a couple of odd jobs at first. He was like uh he was a waiter, he was um selling uh street jewelry. It was oh, one of really? like yeah, it was one of the those like New York very New York jobs where he would like set up uh, you know, like a table sure, in sure. Manhattan and like 
peddle jewelry to people until the cops would come and tell him to fuck off, you know? Um, so he was doing that. And then this is also where... He was, he was doing the, the old dad hustle. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, he, w- he was <laughs> exactly doing that. And then this is where one of the other odd jobs that uh, gets under-talked about, but it's in the, the uh, Jerry Oppenheimer book, is that he was doing a boiler room scam where him and his friends <laughs> pretended to be uh, Vietnam War veterans. Whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa. Seinfeld has stolen valor <laughs> is yes. a part of his bio. That's hilarious. Uh, What's the deal with the trenches? There were Charlies and the trees. <laughs> so so basically it's his friend. Uh, uh, my best friend died in my arms for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with Agent Orange? <laughs> I mean, does this guy know James Bond or something? What is all along the watchtower? <laughs> oh, the humanity. <laughs> the horror, the horror. <laughs> and I'm telling you for the last time. And then he said, me lie. And I was like, no, we all lie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you heard it here last, folks. (laughs) They say the U.S. Marines are raping people, and I say they're not people. (laughs) Palmer, do music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, so... They say shooting out of a helicopter is hard. I thought it was pretty easy once you close your eyes. <laughs> they said it was Operation Speedy Express, but when we shot 500 people a week from a helicopter, they didn't run that fast. I wasn't into pot in college, but heroin overseas? Mm-mm-mm. McNamara? Is this the new McDonald's burger? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. All right. Well, so basically, uh, his friend, I believe his name was Mike Costanza, and uh, they would have a falling out later. Um, um, But so Mike Costanza says the the boiler room scam this way. Quote, we used to scam people. To us, it was just a game, just a joke. Jerry was Dave Wilson. I was Mike Davis. And we'd sell light bulbs over the phone. Jerry and I came up with a bit about not having any hands, losing them in the war. We'd see how much we could make each other laugh and see who could floor the other guy using the most outrageous scenarios. Um, And so they would say, like, one scenario was they would, like, call... uh, you cold call people from like this uh, lighting company and uh, uh, they would say like they would give their names and say we're the handicapped uh, Vietnam veterans with the lighting uh, with the lighting company then one of them would drop the phone on the floor step on it like 10 times pick it up and bang it against the desk and say Mr. Cohen are you still there you know it's hard to get used to these hooks but I have two cases of light bulbs for you <laughs> And, you know, they'd be laughing and, like... Um, God, if I ever meet Seinfeld, I'd go, uh, Hi, Mr. Seinfeld. Uh, I'm David Wilson here. Uh, I'm a Vietnam War veteran. I, uh, I just don't want to know if you wanted some light bulbs. <laughs> but, yeah, so this was basically, like, a boiler room light bulb selling scam. It was illegal, obviously. And uh, But not the worst bit. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah, well, and... This so, isn't that far off from, like, the precarious position of young people today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like... It well, would be some like task rabbit bullshit instead. Right, right. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting. I mean, like, and y- we can compare that. You know, Seinfeld, <laughs> uh, essentially, he was doing, you know, these odd jobs, including a boiler room scam. And then uh, what happens is uh, uh, he's he's hitting the open mics and stuff. And early on, in either 1976 or 77, so this is only a year or two into his comedy start, right. uh, the comic strip, which still exists today in New York City, uh, hires him as the house MC. They pay him $35 a night at 23 years old, and this allows him to quit his day job and pursue comedy full-time. And uh, just if you're wondering about the modern economy of uh, stand-up comedy, uh, $35 a night to MC is $35 more than you will receive at Laughs in Seattle (laughs) for an entire weekend of MCing gigs. Um, That $35 dries up, guys. uh, Comedy booms over. But so, like, uh, and he has help. He gets an apartment in the city at 23. He's originally living with his parents in Long Island and then commuting into the city to do these stand-up gigs. What year is and, that he's making $35? Uh, either 76 or 77. So that's like 130 bucks today, like, I mean, yeah. if you had it for inflation stuff. It is funny that, like, club pay has not scaled no, up at all. No, no, <laughs> Like, it seven, is exactly the same. I got same. $7 last night for doing seven minutes. A <laughs> uh, dollar a minute dollars. isn't a pay... We need to fact check this inflation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man, there's been some terrible deflation in the <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Um, but so, you know, he's able to quit his day job because of this $35 a night. And then from the 76 to 1980, he's just kind of like running around New York, just doing spots and actually making, you know, a lower middle class living just off doing that, essentially. Um, though it should be noted that his dad did help him get the apartment because he was living in Long Island, commuted in the city. Then around 23, he gets his first apartment in New York City on the Upper West Side which he would keep for a long time because it was rent-controlled. Um, it's, uh, you pretty much were right. It's $141. Yes. <laughs> Just for inflation? Jesus yeah. Christ. $35? $141. $141 in and $2018. Oh, man. Man, imagine making 140 bucks a night hosting, doing oh, stand-up. Yeah. That's I, fucking nuts. Yeah, I could... Yeah. I, that, that's Think about cool. all that's the food good. I that's could buy. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> that's, like, that's a real amount of money that I'm like, wow, you could, you could really like have a career. <laughs> like It's sad hearing that number makes me like, wow, comedy could be really like fruitful and valuable. <laughs> Outside of enjoying it and it being the love of my life, $140 a night, I really could do some damage with that. If you told me I could make $140 sucking dick a night, I'd be like, I mean, I'll consider it if I'm that broke. <laughs> But instead, you just uh, do comedy and suck dick ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it is interesting. And like we've talked a bit about, you know, Seinfeld, 900 some million dollar net worth. And it's like, it, it's just interesting where he will like uh, lecture or speak to whatever younger comedians. And it's like, well, we have a completely different economy than what you had. And it's, it's like, I don't expect the guy to fucking pay bills for other comics, but I think. As far as charitable givings, like if he's interested in the art form, that is something he can do because I know a ton of hilarious comedians who are struggling financially. And, you know, I have a decent nine to five. I'm fine. But like I know a lot of just the funniest people in the world and they might never get the chance to be Jerry Seinfeld because they're just like living on fucking $50 a week, if that. I mean, it's it's crazy there's not a club Seinfeld owns. Like when you really think about it, like it's not necessarily... 
a you know money loss or money made scheme. It's literally just, hey, Seinfeld, do you want a place you could do as much time as you want whenever you want? I mean, to be fair, he can do that anywhere in the city, but also he could be making profit on that. Hmm. Well, it's like one of the one of the funniest comedians that we know uh, had like a Conan special. I think he's had two and he was renting a couch from yogi to sleep right, on right, in right. a tiny one bedroom apartment yeah, yeah. like so like i mean the economy so he was terrible. on television right 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 <laughs> what's the deal with downward mobility how <laughs> <laughs> to get one in We'll we'll get to this in a second, but yeah, I mean that's the other thing, and this is kind of been discussed ad nauseum in comedy. But Jerry Seinfeld makes his Johnny Carson debut in 1981. A spot on Johnny Carson was worth five thousand a week. Oh my god! Yeah, so that's how much he was making after he did his Carson appearance. He was making five thousand for a weekend, you know. So it's just like, and again, that Jeffries, what's the inflation on that? <laughs> yeah, I know in the '81, <laughs> uh, but so. Anyways, the point of this podcast is... Basically, you can buy one of those new towers on Park Avenue without money. Right, right, (laughs) right. But to continue, uh, Jerry Seinfeld is making 35 a night, emceeing at the comic strip. Uh, Between 76 and 1980, he's, uh, you know, running around the city doing like six spots a night, getting, you know, decent spot pay. And um, sometime before... There was spot pay, too? Yes. (laughs) it's probably the same as it is today, but he was probably getting like well, 20, today there's not spot pay. Well, at the clubs I mean, in Manhattan, at, at the good there clubs, is yeah, yeah, there is spot pay. You have pay. to be a, a dual threat MC slash dick sucker <laughs> <laughs> in order to make that money. Um, but so in the late seventies, sometimes in the late seventies, when I believe when he's emceeing at the comic strip, Rodney Dangerfield comes in, uh, and Rodney Dangerfield sees Jerry Seinfeld, and he gives him his television debut, putting him on an HBO showcase. Um, but, but really what happens for Jerry is, uh, uh, he's actually able to start kind of touring even by the late seventies because like, again, you know, talk about the changing economy and all this, but, uh, there's a comedy boom with the death of disco where a lot of disco clubs became comedy clubs. Oh really? Yeah. So like, you know, they would have like the fucking disco light and all that stuff. And then because they couldn't make any money on disco anymore, they just take it all down and put a microphone on the stage and say, Oh, it's a comedy club now. So there was like a real kind of boom economy. So in the late seventies, uh, Seinfeld's already touring and, uh, actually by 79, apparently one of Johnny Carson's, People had seen him out somewhere and wanted him to do the Carson show, but Jerry was very nervous about bombing on Carson because it was considered so career-defining. Sure, sure. And, you know, this is all what happens when there are three networks. <laughs> right. There are three <laughs> options on your television. Uh, so he actually delays doing Johnny Carson. Um, but he's actually making a decent living um, touring in the late 70s already. And, then again, this is only like four years into comedy. Um, but he decides in 19... Oh, just like us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Coming up on 11 years (laughs) of uh, no spot pay, or minimal if at all. You've Um, been doing it longer than 11, Sean. I've been doing it 10. (laughs) I'm probably like closer to 12 or 13. (laughs) I I do love how I'm just like, I'm I'm about to turn the age at which Jerry Seinfeld was probably worth half a million dollars. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, there's a Facebook post. I can't remember who it was, but it was really good, which was like, I didn't expect to be a millionaire 10 years in, but I was hoping to at least make $30,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> Pipe dreams. 
but so in 1980, uh, Jerry Seinfeld decides to seek his fortune in L.A. And um, he actually, interestingly enough, keeps his rent-controlled uh, NYC apartment. And again, this is... I'm bringing up the VA loan and the rent control and stuff just because I know people have this obsession. Wait, with you got a VA loan? His dad bought a house with a VA loan. Oh, okay. That would be funny if he used his fucking <laughs> well, yeah, his hook hands bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, it's so hard to talk on the phone. <laughs> no, I can't come in to do the paperwork in person. <laughs> have you seen the movie Born on the Fourth of July? I'm in a wheelchair. That's me. <laughs> Um, but so, uh, <laughs> what's the uh, deal with you guys being bitches? <laughs> um, how many babies did they make you kill? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you didn't kill any babies, <laughs> but I don't want to be a swift boat veteran. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so he, uh, uh, he moves to LA in 1980 but he keeps the this rent-controlled New York apartment, and he sublets it to his friend, and he keeps that apartment into like the '90s or something. I don't I don't know exactly when he gets rid of it, but he keeps it a long time. And I'm just bringing up the rent control and the VA loan and the dad loan and stuff, just because it's like a lot of these self-made myths are just that. You know, there's always a right. helping hand either from the government or from friends and family LLC or whatever. You know, so it's like. Uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld is probably the richest person to ever make their money doing stand-up comedy, and and you still see this kind of benevolent forces helping him along the way well, that are not always available to people today. Like Larry David uh, was living in artists' housing on like Twenty oh, right, Third yeah. right, Street right. in Manhattan. <laughs> And it was subsidized housing for artists, if you can imagine that today. And yeah, it's called Bushwick. <laughs> <laughs> Without the subsidy. Subsidized, subsidized by their parents? Yeah, it's subsidized yeah. by the fucking Carlisle Group Trust Fund. <laughs> <laughs> subsidized by training the Saudi Arabian mercenaries who uh, murder their populace when they act up. And it's like that apartment mm. now has to be worth like several, mi- at least a million dollars. <laughs> baseline yeah. just just like a, the one bedroom apartment where kenny kramer i don't think kenny kramer can afford to live there anymore no he's still there he can't afford to live there <laughs> but he's still there but i was i was thinking once we started recording like oh man we probably could have gotten kenny kramer for this episode yeah i mean i feel like he kept leaving and coming back to the podcast though <laughs> the, ol- the the biggest thing i remember about, eat all your food about kenny kramer is um and we'll, we'll talk about the michael richards things a, a little bit but basically uh when the michael richards thing happened kenny kramer put a statement online saying the real kramer does not endorse racism <laughs> or discrimination of any kind that's some pretty uh <laughs> Nasty things to some Afro Americans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you have to you have to respect the comedic timing that went into the apology. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Stop laughing. It's not funny. Um, Stop laughing. It's not funny. <laughs> it's uh, the review of B movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so in 1980, uh, Jerry Seinfeld makes the move to L.A. This is about after doing comedy about four years in New York City, doing, you know, six spots a night or so, making decent money and also touring a fair amount uh, by the late 70s. So 1980, he moves. He gets a bit part in a sitcom called Benson, 
where I guess they like signed him to be on for the whole season and then they like dropped him I think after an episode or two but they'd signed him for 40 grand again 40 grand 1980 so he was signed for this bit part in Benson they fired him but he still gets paid out 40 grand so mm -hmm. he's doing fine by right. this point but 1980 he moves to LA he's like the going price for a mansion <laughs> <laughs> um uh, he struggles a little bit, but then uh, in the sense that his first six months, he's like feeling like nobody's putting him up or whatever. He does. Aww. He does Aww. the. He does the improv uh, for for spot pay. Aww. But he's he's not getting up. <laughs> he's got forty thousand dollars from a sitcom, but he's not getting up. <laughs> Conti continues to get the mythical spot pay. Yeah. <laughs> People don't talk about the grind of Seinfeld. You yeah. know, like yeah. he really put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he worked real hard with his forty thousand dollars that he didn't have to do much for. <laughs> he read a script for. <laughs> um, but so he had this forty grand, he's able to subsidize himself with this, but nineteen eighty one he makes his Johnny Carson debut. He's called back, I think, two months later, and then a, a few months after that he's called back again. And by this time, eighty one and throughout the eighties He's a road warrior. As we mentioned, he was being paid uh, 5000 a week, typically, after his Johnny Carson appearance in 1981. And he's like, him and Jay Leno were kind of the two... Uh, Top dogs. As Adam Carolla would put it, they rode it hard. <laughs> <laughs> they did the road hard. Uh, they were doing like 300 gigs a year or something like that, you know, or high 200s. So he's actually like making... Hundreds of thousands of dollars in they, the 1980s just off stand-up comedy. They Again. spread the word about America, about what is the deal with, have you seen this, have you heard about this? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Seinfeld has talked about during this era, he knew comics that would tour the country with like a good 10 minutes. So yeah. the era stand-up when it comes to like what this era meant is not the you know Louis C.K. new hour every year type of thing. It's He's doing his act. Mm -hmm. And his act is the same act that you will see on his Netflix special released <laughs> 2017. And so, yeah. He really grinds. Apparently, he would, like, do daily yoga exercises on the road, you know? Yeah, he's, he's a big like, proponent of yoga and meditation. Right, and right. He talks about this a lot. Yeah, and, you know, like, and he, he writes about how he, like, rode every day and stuff. And, yeah, I'm sure he worked hard at uh, stand-up and... Uh, but it should be noted that he uh, was very fortunate as far as timing in the comedy boom where he was making so much money that I believe in 85 or 86, he hired an accountant who ripped him off for 50 grand oh, wow. and uh, because he was like just storing his money under the mattress sure, and his sure. girlfriend had to like convince him to fucking get a Merrill Lynch account and later an accountant. Right. His 14 year old and girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you no, should it, get a Merrill Adjust it for inflation. She was 23. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, you know, he's he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars by the 1980s. Um, in 87, he's a profiled in Time magazine. He has his first solo HBO special in the same year. And uh, by 1988... Which he did for exposure. Exposure and drink tickets. Don't yeah. forget the drink tickets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one he actually crowdfunded to get that HBO special. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's making like a hundred plus grand at this point in mm. the early 80s. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, just like random things from this era, his his father uh, sadly passes away in 85. You know, um, obviously that's very emotional for Jerry. And uh, um, he 
is engaged to a woman in 1984. Is there a video of that eulogy? <laughs> and apparently it exists. I mean, you know, it's a, the, somebody in the book describes it as like obviously the most emotional they'd ever seen Jerry, but kind of off-putting because he's such like a not emotional sure, person, sure, yeah. you know? off-putting that he was like grieving his dead dad <laughs> oh jerry that's a bad look for you <laughs> he was What's that's the deal with crying that's why he left scientology <laughs> they were like this is an unacceptable expression he wouldn't right be here. able to finish his joke he'd be like what's the what oh. <laughs> yeah what's the scientology thing so the scientology thing as far as the book describes it is that he gets into it in the um uh, the 80s. What, Judaism wasn't good enough for him? Right. So he tells his girlfriend, his like longtime girlfriend, um, uh, and some of his friends that uh, in the in the mid-80s that he was involved in the church. And then uh, I'm quoting from the Jerry Oppenheimer book. He was what was known as a, quote, pre-clear, a person who not, was not yet clear, a person learning more about himself and life. As a pre-clear, he said he was involved in a form of personal counseling called auditing one-on-one sessions with a Scientology minister known as an auditor. Um, And it uses, and for those not familiar, uh, auditing uh, uses processes, questions or directions given by the auditor to the pre-clear to help him find out things about himself and improve his condition and free himself from what the Scientologists claim are unwanted barriers that inhibit, stop, or blunt natural abilities. Um, Uh, So... uh do you have, are you remembering something that gives you great pain? Yeah, why are soda cans so hard to open? You can't get the damn up! <laughs> there was Charlie everywhere, man! <laughs> we called down Napalm on my own position! The Seinfeld voice is like very, you know, Jewish PTSD member. Like, it's just, I, I don't understand what's going on! <laughs> We called it napalm because it burned their palms. But so, and it's like, it's kind of weird where like uh, he's involved in in the mid 80s and then journalists kind of started to ask him. I hate flying Delta because it reminds me of the (laughs) Mekong Delta. (laughs) Can I have a warning at the beginning of this episode? Yeah. but so, uh, yeah, journalists started to ask him about this in the early 90s because sci- uh, Scientology was already controversial then. And, of course, the Seinfeld show had blown up. Wait, I want to do a and, second shot of that joke. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Mekong Delta was bad. Then I started flying Delta Airlines. <laughs> so do you want me to cut the other one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just leave both. The, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to do it again. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, uh, journalists started asking him about Scientology in the early nineties and he told, um, a Playboy interview in 1990, he said it taught, uh, Scientology taught him in a sense how to handle hecklers better. It gave him those communication skills. And I, I like the idea that Scientology taught him to handle hecklers better by teaching him how to kidnap them, (laughs) 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 destroy their lives and cut them off from their families. (laughs) Um, but at least as late as 1992, he was like defending Scientology in interviews and he was always kind of like downplaying it where he would say, I'm paraphrasing, but he would say things like, yeah, you know, I kind of like take a grab bag from different religions where like I, I got into Zen and meditation, but I also learned about, you know, uh, this kind of stuff about myself from Scientology and I just kind of like took what I liked from each, you know, little religion or following or whatever. Death Um, is the only truth. (laughs) 
I used but, to be bothered by hecklers, but then Scientology taught me about disconnection. <laughs> That's why I don't love my family, and I only care about my money. <laughs> I do like the idea that it was like... It wasn't his act; it was his Scientology that right. made him blow up. <laughs> right. He'll never like, get like, on a DC nine again. <laughs> I, I, it does make sense though that he might have been financially struggling if he was in Scientology all this time. <laughs> you know? Do you guys know about like the Scientology when you want to move like to one of the higher levels? They take you out on their yacht. You guys know about this? Oh yeah, the sea, like seasteading. Yeah, thing. yeah. So like yeah. it's this like yacht that they take out to international waters, and essentially, you know, you've put in you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and they want you to put in more money at this point. And rightfully a person might be on the fence about this, but when you're in international waters <laughs> surrounded by people forcing you to go take the next step, you'll probably take the next step. <laughs> and uh, I don't advocate uh, pirates, <laughs> but uh, I would love for pirates to attack the Scientology yacht. The... <laughs> yes. Seahorn. They, they, yeah, they kidnap Jerry and they're like, say the line. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to be a pirate. I am captain now. Uh, Do you know that that was started so that L. Ron Hubbard could avoid um, his uh, tax fraud? Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't know that. Charges. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in 1988, uh, he's made some 30 appearances on Johnny Carson and David Letterman. And this is where NBC essentially gives him. They tell him, do almost whatever you want, sure. and we'll put it on TV as a show. And so he's like, uh, uh, he meets up with Larry David, and they kind of come up with this idea. Like, the story is they were, like, doing a set at Catch a Rising Star, and then they went and they, like, started riffing in a deli afterwards, and Larry David was like, this is what the show should be, just com- uh, comedians, you know, figuring out how they get their bits right, or whatever. Right, right. And so, you know... Um, he also was, sorry, Jerry Seinfeld also prides himself on being one of the few people that could be on Carson and Letterman during that period. Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, he uh, back before political correctness ruined that for him. Um, but so, oh, and just one other thing. Uh, his longtime girlfriend from the mid-80s to the early 90s before they finally broke up, uh, he broke up with her essentially because she wasn't Jewish. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's like a weird thing where the, the way the biographer says it is that his mother, Jerry Seinfeld's mother, was very clear to him that it's like, never marry a girl who's not Jewish, and even a girl who converts to Judaism, it's not okay. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I mean, that's racism, Yeah, and nobody ever calls uh, the Jewish faith on that, because especially when you're talking about, like, not even a convert to Judaism, that is just racial discrimination. Yeah, but that's something that this country is known for, where it's like, you know, oh, speak English. They're never talking about Hebrew, you know what I mean? Like, it's a very clear-cut thing where the bigotry that uh, the Jewish community holds is not ever under question in this country. Mm-hmm. It's also, it must have been really confusing for his first girlfriend when she first met his parents and then met them a second time and it was a completely different pair of old people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like fired the guy who played his dad on, I think, the pilot because he didn't, Jerry didn't like the job he was doing. Oh, really? yeah, 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 they completely replaced him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes. I didn't get uh, that bit. That's very funny. <laughs> The uh, uh, the story of um, Jewish racism is why Andy is an unmarried man today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he told his girlfriend, for uh, quote, I will never marry someone who's not Jewish. Hmm. And of course, he would eventually go on to marry and have children with a, a Jewish woman. And I, I don't have anything to say about it, except it's just kind of this weird form of racism we've all decided to tolerate. 
Um, by sh- by we, Sean means the whites. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you get a pass in it in fucking white liberal circles to yeah. just be like, yeah, I uh, I will only date someone of my race. Right. No, 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 it's okay, I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a, like, it's acceptable to say I will only date someone who is the same religion as me. And so it's kind no, of no, but they can't convert. They have to be the racial religion. Right, right. It's kind of a back door to like. <laughs> All right. Well, none of you are running for office. So. <laughs> uh. No, it's fucked up. And I mean, like, yeah. I, it's fucking stupid. Like, I mean, if I told you, like, oh yeah, my parents won't let me marry someone that's not Indian and Hindu, you'd be like, that's stupid. But yeah. yet, you know, the moment we change, we'd it be to... like, Yogi, you clearly do much better with white girls. That's what I tolerate me. Um, but so 88, um, NBC picks up the Seinfeld television show. It's, uh, first three seasons. Uh, it's, this has been talked about to death, but we'll just kind of go through it briefly. It kind of survives on essentially the ratings itself aren't that good, but they do very well in a high income demographic. Yeah. He talks about this on Howard Stern, actually. Stern is like, oh, your numbers were down earlier. You probably would be canceled these days. And Jerry Seinfeld very like confident. He's like, nah, we, we, our demographic was a high income. So we were fine. Like, very confident. He's like, nah, fuck you, Howard. Mm-hmm. That is definitely <laughs> different than what they said in the old, like, DVD mini yep. documentaries yep. that I watched, where they'd be like, we just have a very loyal audience. Yeah. And so we knew we'd be able to, like, stick through it. No, they got the NPR crowd. Like, I mean, if you yeah. want to talk about pre, uh, you know, the stereotypical, like, liberal NPR crowd, that is the demographic that they got. That NBC was like, well, they're going to buy the merch. So who gives a fuck what they like? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The advertisers want the rich so you people. you got the Frasier people. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, certainly. All right. So continuing on uh, Seinfeld, the first three seasons, they're um, uh, they're doing okay, uh, but they're performing fine among the high income demographic. But it is like you know the fourth and the fifth season where Seinfeld really becomes such a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, they get and, moved from Wednesday, I think, to know, Thursday. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they have Cheers thing, yeah. as a lead in, mm-hmm. so yeah. they're like doing much better. And uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, I'm not sure your guys' opinion on Seinfeld. I think it's a hilarious show. I think. Larry David probably deserves the lion's share of the credit, but I'm not going to say Seinfeld didn't contribute a lot to the show. Yeah, it is his may, fucking show. Some of you may be asking, like, if if you're doing Jerry Seinfeld and mm-hmm. he's worth less than a billion dollars, are you going to bring out Larry David's dirty laundry? And to <laughs> that, I say no other than sour grapes, which everyone's allowed a mistake artistically. Larry David's perfect. Go yes. fuck yourself. I don't know why I'm being mean. There, no one has been mean to us. <laughs> There's a funny story. Plenty of people have been mean to you, Andy. <laughs> yeah, but no one listening to this. That's fair. There's a story in the Jerry Oppenheimer Seinfeld uh, biography is that um, a comedian would uh, meet Larry David. And so he came up to him after a set once and he said, um, you know, hey, g- hey, good set. And Larry David just kind of like looks at him like he's an alien and walks off. He comes <laughs> up to him again. He's like, hey, uh, great set again. Larry David just kind of like looks at him and just like says thanks and walks off. And then this same comedian comes up to him at a deli a third time and he's, he compliments his jokes. And Larry David's like, "What's with this nice guy shit?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Mm. Yeah, but um, uh, we uh, will uh, spare the famously curmudgeonly Larry David. He's only worth about five hundred million dollars that he hoards for himself, and uh, he he's should openly gi- curmudgeonly. <laughs> he should give he gets- the money away, but we're not going to break our rules and do a Larry David episode. Though we will be doing a Julia Louise Dreyfus or Dreyfus family episode at some. They point own in the all future. the sugar. <laughs> How the fuck do they own all the sugar? Look into it. Literally, sugar grows only in brown countries. How is this white family owning all of it? Look into it. 
It is true. Uh, the Dreyfus Company goes back to mid-1800s France, which was uh, famous for their uh, very fair trade deals <laughs> <laughs> with uh, uh, African nations, among others. Um, Afro-Americans. But, yes. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus has actually done more to hurt the African community <laughs> than <laughs> Michael Richards. <laughs> um, Probably but, true. Probably true. You know, she's used the N-word more. <laughs> Uh, but so uh, Seinfeld is, uh, by its fourth and fifth season, a big, huge hit. And it is in 1993 where Jerry Seinfeld gets his first bad press. And we've kind of alluded to this. But this is a weird fucking story. And it's been talked about a fair bit. But he starts dating a 17-year-old. Yeah, and, it's uh, fucked up. He is a 38-year-old man at this point. And the the only thing weirder than the actual story is how he met her. Is uh, at least according to this um, uh, this biography that I've been referencing, the story is that, and apparently this is the way Jerry Seinfeld told it, which I'm like, what the fuck? The story he tells is that himself and his friends were in Central Park taking pictures of attractive women, which is like, you know, that's the pre Me Too era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's before yeah. political correctness ran amok. And this is pre like cell phones all. I mean, pre cameras being on everyone's body. Like this is literally. Two randos in the park going, let's just take photos of chicks, man. Right. So, and and it's they're like, 38. They're not fucking like in their 20s. They're 38 years old. Yeah. These are grown uh, men. And it's so weird because it's like he describes that as like a prank where they were like, he says they were going to like show it to their other friend to make him jealous or something. And I'm like, that's not a very funny prank. That's. That's not dropping the phone and pretending to be hook hands. He's like in season three or four of his show at this point. I think it's four or five. He's like a te- bona fide television star. Oh, yeah, he's a he's star. And he's just taking photos of chicks in the park. Yeah, because he has, at this point, he has like a million some dollar, multi-million dollar Central Park apartment. Oh, my God. Um, uh, and so he lives right next to Central Park. He still has a place next to Central Park on the Upper West Side. Um, well, and, someone confronted him about, about that. Let's talk about serious things. While he was taking the, the picture. Campaign. Yes. What, what's wrong with the industry? I mean, are you asking yourself how, how come all it's of this is coming? It's not the industry, honey. It's the whole gender. It's men and women. You this is call, about men and women. You just called me honey. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, in fairness, he would later tell Brian Williams, I'm on the autism spectrum. <laughs> He was just advertising for B-Movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so uh, let's let's get back to the seventeen-year-old because we'll finish that story and then we'll move on to to other such stuff. So basically, he is taking pictures of women in the park, and then he uh, sees this seventeen-year-old girl, and he goes back to his apartment and he's like infatuated with the pictures, and then he goes back to the park. I, I, I think it was a later date, and he meets her again and introduces uh, himself to her. And hey, I was taking photos in the park the other day. <laughs> And I couldn't stop jerking off to these photos. <laughs> I just wanted to know, do you like jazz? <laughs> <laughs> he came up to her and was like, uh, I lost the bet because of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it but it so- seems like he just he copied uh, season one, episode two, The Stakeout, uh, three years after it came out. Sure. Um, sure. But so... Basically, he meets this girl, and again, as we've mentioned, he's a huge national celebrity at this point. Seinfeld is crushing it in the ratings. This is 1993, the height of his celebrity. So she's, uh, uh, I think she's an Upper East Side Jewish girl. Uh, 
Um, and oh, she, aren't they all? Her name was Shoshana Lonstein, um, and she was, you know, taken aback with him. Uh, and so uh, this is April 1993. They meet, and then they finally, their relationship becomes public in May uh, 29 of 93. He takes her to a Knicks game, and she's, like, in the camera when he's, like, interviewed or something, and he, like... He apparently that night like called his publicist panicked because he knew that this story would break about him dating a 17 year old. And he was like, uh, you know, oh, my God, is this illegal? Like, what's going on? And um, uh, and they were worried about like her parents suing him. But apparently her parents loved him, I guess, because (laughs) he was like, you know, multimillionaire famous guy or whatever. Um, But so uh, and it it is interesting where it's like they talk a bit about the tabloid environment at the time because uh, the first person to confront him on it was uh, Howard Stern. By the way, it's worth noting that on uh, Shoshana Lonstein's Wikipedia page Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, her professional years active, it's 1998 to present. What? In other words, right after the breakup. Like several years. Her her years as a professional person are. Uh, significantly after her relationship with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, but you know, I want to circle back on one thing real quick, Sean, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Yeah, of course. But you asked like our opinions about uh, the show Seinfeld, and uh, it's a perfectly enjoyable show. I used to watch it with my dad, which is a nice uh, personal memory. But let's be honest here. Uh, a general bunch of white people in New York, that's a TV recipe that just works. Yeah. I mean, whether it's Seinfeld, Friends, fucking Girls, I don't know, Sopranos. I mean, the list goes on. It's not that hard to make white people in New York pop on TV. So you're saying we should fire you from the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so uh, uh, Howard Stern, it's just, I want to just quote this. Uh, um, Howard Stern confronts Jerry Seinfeld when he does a phone interview. And this is like the last time Jerry Seinfeld appears on the show till like, the late 2000s i think and then howard later does a song about jerry's girl is only 17 or something like that <laughs> uh but so howard asks him so you sit in central park and have like a candy bar on a string and pull it when young girls come by uh, and jerry uh was described by the book as barely controlled and jerry says i am not repeat not a cradle snatcher um, and then he lies, asserting firmly, she is not 17. That's all I'm going to say about it. Case closed. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was, in fact, 17. <laughs> um, but it's just kind of a weird thing where it's like, they actually, they date a little while until, I think, 1998. Um, she goes to George Washington University. Like, she was in high school when they started dating. Well, she needed a ride. <laughs> <laughs> she goes to George Washington University. Um uh, Jerry visits her on campus at uh, George Washington. Then later, she transfers next the following year to UCLA so that she can be in LA, where Seinfeld is, of course, filming the show Seinfeld. Aww. He gets her an apartment in LA, uh, and they continue their relationship for a. Um, oh, he a, gets her an apartment in LA. Uh, actually, I can't confirm that, oh. but uh, she gets an apartment in LA. I assume Jerry helps her financially. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I don't know. She comes from a rich family. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, just like one other random anecdote about that. Apparently they, uh, they did it until 1997 and, uh, had an amicable breakup. But, um, in 1996 they did, uh, they were shooting an episode of Seinfeld and an audience member, 
Uh, it was, I think, a female. Uh, they were doing audience questions, essentially. Right. Uh, and, and a female fan from the Oppenheimer book, a female fan stood up and asked, what size cups does your girlfriend wear? Her question was met with an icy silence. Well, Jerry finally responded, we've suddenly taken a nasty turn here, haven't we? I don't think that's any of my business, much less yours. By the way, what size jock do you wear? Looks like a large to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he said that to her? Yeah. yeah. He said that to the audience member asking him what size bra does his girlfriend wear Oh, so wear he, said, he said she has a penis? I guess so, he's, yeah. He's trying or to say it? she's got a big old set of balls. Mm. Yeah. How dare she ask Jerry this question? How dare she, a woman, ask Jerry a question on the anatomy of another woman? <laughs> Um, oh, and so uh, uh, we'll kind of jump around here as we're, we're winding down. But uh, just one other thing. Well, from when Jerry first started to become rich in the 1980s, his girlfriend at the time describes he would go on tour and like buy all new stuff for himself and then just throw it out when he got home. Oh, really? Instead hmm. of doing laundry. And she actually like got him to stop this because she would like take his stuff and like donate it to her father, brother, or just whoever. And she describes the story of like, he bought like a brand new hundred some multi hundred dollar wallet. And, uh, he was disappointed because he had ordered it and, and he got it in brown instead of black like he liked. And he just threw it in the trash can. And he, she had to explain to him, are you insane? Go give it to a homeless person, but just don't throw it in the trash. And he said, quote, oh, oh, you're right. I, I just didn't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, as Christopher Lash said, culture of narcissism. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting where it's like an adult in the mid 1980s was like, oh, I just didn't think that instead of throwing things out, I can <laughs> donate them. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that it's very easy to think that, you know, Seinfeld in his like fourth, fifth season is in his like late 20s or something. Mm -hmm. But he is a 40 year old man at that point. Mm -hmm. And so all of this like infantile behavior, it's like, oh, well, Jerry's just kind of a loon, a young, young, young gun. And it's like, no, that's an old man. To go on, the show Seinfeld ends in 1998, and then um, there's a story of basically uh, he breaks up with his 17-year-old girl, and he <laughs> cucks another dude, and that would become his still-today wife with whom he has three children. It's just kind of an interesting story. Uh, the, the brief of it is that she's uh, his current wife was... Married an extremely rich husband, but not quite rich enough. Right. Uh, uh, and he got her a gym membership, uh, which he would later regret because she met Jerry Seinfeld at the gym. <laughs> what? And so the actual story is they get... Uh, she, she meets Jerry Seinfeld before the actual wedding when she is engaged to this guy. They get married. They go on a three-week honeymoon to Italy where he just like lets her spend all the money on whatever. But she cuts the honeymoon short to go back to New York where she shacks up with Jerry and I think five days later says, I'm breaking it off with you to get with Jerry Seinfeld. What? So, uh, you know, that is an alpha move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say what you want about Jerry Seinfeld, but he did cuck a man pretty thoroughly. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, and that other man, his name was Michael Richardson. <laughs> Her uh, name was Jessica Sklar, and it's, it's, it's quite the shame that... Uh, we didn't get to find out what would be the comedy act of the Sklar brothers and one set of our sister. <laughs> but so uh, before we, we wrap up here, I do just want to talk about um, Jerry Seinfeld uh, in Netflix. We, we've kind of mentioned he got a $100 million deal with Netflix for uh, two specials plus comedians in cars getting coffee. And um, 
he's being sued by the co-creator of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Uh, you read about yeah. that, Andy? So apparently the co-creator of uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee pitched the idea to him back in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, at, at the time, Seidenfeld was pretty like ambivalent about it. And then a little while later, I think it was after, oh, it was after the failure of the marriage ref. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tom one of his Papa. crimes we don't Tom have time Papa, to yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> to address. Uh, Seinfeld uh, said that his... Seinfeld takes the guy aside backstage. He's like, "Have you thought about going younger?" <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, his representatives just kept giving him shit because he didn't have anything going after uh, the marriage ref. Right, uh, got completely shit canned. And so then he brought it up to this guy, um, last name Charles. He's not Larry Charles, though. Christian Charles. And he said, um, hey, let's do the idea about the comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm. And so uh, Christian Charles made the uh, pilot. He basically wrote it. He had a treatment for it already. Mm-hmm. So then he uh, set everything up, got the locations and everything ready for the pilot. And apparently the uh for the pilot, Seinfeld was just pissed off and didn't want to do it <laughs> and uh, just really annoyed. And they had to kind of like coax him to do it. And then he refused to do the voiceovers. <laughs> what? And so I like how he's like Wesley Snipes on the set of Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Which if you've seen comedians and cars getting coffee, like the it's voiceovers be- are critical. To yeah, the it's thing. mostly voiceovers on that show. Yeah. And so they uh, eventually, this guy sends it to Seinfeld, and uh, Seinfeld and his people like sit on it for a minute, and then they're like, "It's great," and uh, decide to run it. And then they tell the guy basically like, "Oh, you're just a four hired director." After the guy like you know yes. produced the the whole first pilot. They're like, you're just a director and kind of cut him out and said that his only he like billed them for like creating the thing. And they're like, oh, no, your only payment is your uh, director's fee mm-hmm. for whatever episodes you direct. And so then he um, he filed a lawsuit now that it's on um, Netflix, Netflix. And Seinfeld basically seems to agree that. It's basically their his people's argument is that it's just outside the statute of limitations. They can't do anything. Wow. Yeah. So it's uh, comedians in cars stealing creative property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, so it was the deal with being a powerful monster who can crush your enemies. <laughs> There's another story in the Oppenheimer book. I think. Uh, By the way, there's there's uh, this line from the Hollywood Report. It says, "Defendant comedians in cars LLC." <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Jerry Seinfeld uh, has benefited a lot from other people's work. <laughs> Let's yes. say that. Yes. Um, and at, you know what? At least he made uh, Larry David half a billionaire. Yes. <laughs> But uh, not the guy who uh, thought up the idea of having rich assholes drive around and uh, <laughs> insult service industry people in coffee <laughs> shops. Um, but anyways, and then the other thing is just like this was kind of a story this year was Jerry Seinfeld did some sort of a Israeli Defense Force training camp. Uh, I don't know the exact details of that. Uh, Steven, you looked at that a bit. 
Yeah, it was like a like a fantasy camp for sort of defending Israeli <laughs> settlements. He goes there and starts having Vietnam flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, if you look it up online, there's a picture of him posing next to an IDF soldier. Yeah, yeah, that's looks, the kind of fantasy. It looks thing. like the Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> right? Like Mossad character. Right. Well, because like his dad was a big pro-Israel guy, and Jerry, of course, is very influenced by his dad. And as we mentioned, he went on this kibbutz, uh, this trip to Israel in 1971, and uh, he's he's very. It's ancestrally our land. <laughs> What's the deal with the Israeli-Palestine conflict? Yeah. We no have su- a right to defend ourselves. There's no such thing as Palestinians. They were living in the country called Jordan. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What's the deal with white phosphorus, anyone? <laughs> I just love the tone change in this. Yeah, you know what? We're at an hour. It's winding down. But look, the the point is here. Jerry Seinfeld is going to be the first person to become a billionaire from stand-up comedy, or more specifically, from a television show. He's made at least $400 million just off residuals and such for the, the Seinfeld show. It's Because the- it's really a country, why can't anyone leave it? <laughs> It's uh, it's the most successful sitcom of all time. I think we can say confidently. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, uh, is an interesting person. And I think it's just like we we mentioned the story about him like uh, not giving his possessions away and then just throwing them away. And it's like he's worth almost a billion dollars. He doesn't spend on anything except for like sneakers and Porsches and like you know the most basic. I, mean, I guess it's different now that he has three children. But it's just like. Is it though? I, is it different? Yeah. <laughs> I think he's mostly spending his money on sneakers and Porsches. Yeah, <laughs> just but necessities. Is, yeah. And he's still like, and, and he's kind of like Leno, where he's got you know the compulsive thing, and and you know we're all standups, we can we can sort of understand, but he still tours relentlessly. Forbes has him making like fifty-seven and a half million dollars this year, and right, of course right. it's partly uh, Netflix, but it's also just he's still selling out stand-up arenas, and there's still people paying to see him and. I got really nothing to say except for comedy is subjective and I, I don't understand. <laughs> like, What's the deal with comedy? <laughs> it's so subjective, yet I keep making money from it. Well, like eight years ago, Sean and I were hanging out in my apartment and yeah. Seinfeld was on Letterman. Oh my God, it was so bad. It was so bad. It's to the point where I joked like, you think Dave's going to call him over <laughs> 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 to the desk? <laughs> they bonded over their shared love of teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is just like something interesting where Jerry Seinfeld has like the most milk toast act, but he's also complained about political correctness because he had some dumb joke about like when you're scrolling through your iPhone, you're like a gay French king. <laughs> 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 and, uh, uh, some people got a little tense at that one and he's like, it's the audience's fault, yeah. but it's like, I don't know. It it's just... not that it's the worst joke anyone's <laughs> written this year. <laughs> It's just interesting. It actually was written in 86, so let's not forget that part. 86, it murdered, so just letting you know. But it is just like, look, I've watched, you know, Seinfeld stuff from like the 80s, and it's like, it's fine stand-up comedy, but it's, I think, clearly becoming a billionaire who uh, doesn't buy anything except, you know, Mets box tickets or whatever the fuck, and, you know, his having two garages worth of Porsches has probably detached him a bit from the average human experience. And having a show where they just drive around uh, and be rich together, you know. Um, You can't be rich and funny unless you're Larry Davis. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that's uh, that's what we learned. That's the takeaway. Yeah, and uh, so uh, rest in peace to John McCain, and uh, we we hope uh, another Vietnam veteran, Jerry Seinfeld, will <laughs> include more diversity on comedians in cars getting coffee. <laughs> we called in for help, but then the plane that was supposed to bomb the Charlies crashed. <laughs> Once the deal with war, it's nothing like mash. <laughs> War, huh? Good God, y'all! What is it good for? Oh. Absolutely nothing. Say it again. <laughs> One other thing: uh, as of 2002, when this unauthorized biography was published, he has not given any money to his father's synagogue for repairs. Okay, he also hasn't given any money to his high school. Understandably, he hated it, but it was just kind of interesting. Where it's like. We project he'll be a billionaire within two or three years, and uh, his record of charitable contributions seems to support <laughs> that thesis, yeah. because I don't think he's giving that money away. <laughs> no. He, he, bought, about... he bought Todd Berry a coffee, <laughs> and then was very condescending <laughs> when he was like, hey, you're doing great, aren't you? And Todd Berry just was like, you want to swap? <laughs> They, every episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, they have to edit out where the person gets really angry at him for giving him the bill. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go Dutch on this, right? Uh, well, Jerry Seinfeld, billionaire within two or three years, uh, reinvented the American comedy right. and uh, provided a model that all of us are following and will continue to follow. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. We've got a new episode coming out next week. Thank you for listening. My name's Yogi Poywall. I'm Andy Palmer. Uh, Sean P. McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. Boom, ba-dum, boom, 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 boom.